if you're if you're not experiencing any uh, any knee issues or any other body issues, I I would say there's a good chance that you're already in that range. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast, powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and this week we're discussing some nuances on training weight management, whether or not that bike fits worth it, and how should one go about tapering for events in the base season. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. It's still the fall season for most of the U.S., and that means it's the perfect time to get cozy with your favorite fall beverage. Yes, I'm talking about Flow's apple cider drink mix. Get your hands on some today before the supply runs out by heading over to flowformulas.com and use the discount code IgnitionPodcast10 for 10% off your order. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, drop us an email at matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title the Matchbox Podcast. Or you can head over to Ignition Coach Co. and fill out the Matchbox Podcast listener question form. All right, let's get into it. Okay, first question this week comes in from Richard from Germany. Richard, you've sent in a few questions, man. Keep it coming. Uh, okay. I regularly struggle with keeping my weight up during the season. I stand at uh, 1.83 meters or six feet. We'll go with six feet. Uh, and I weigh 68 kilograms or about 150 pounds, which for me is the lowest I would ever allow it to be, even though it could easily drop below 66 or 145 pounds. I've heard that fueling should prepare or compensate for your daily activities or specifically your ride that's planned or training, which is something that I do. But during my days, which mainly consist of easier training or off days, should I adjust my nutrition to compensate for the lower amount of riding or should the nutrition on those days still compensate for the rest of the week? Hmm. This is my third time sending in questions. and I'm grateful for the time that you guys take to answer all of them is really helping me out knowing that I can get professional answers whenever I stumble over something. Really appreciate it. Cheers from Germany, Richard. Mm. Is Richard uh, between the age of 15 and 20 years old? This is my question. That's a great question. I don't believe Richard has given us that context. Is somebody who's 15 to 20 so. in their emails with cheers from Germany? I don't think so. I don't, I don't know how people <laughs> talk in Germany. I know. I'm just saying young people don't talk like that. Cheers okay. from Germany. Yeah. Also, Richard, I feel like, is a more yeah. uh, Gen X name or boomer name. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so... These are look, all good assumptions. Every single time that I've gotten a question, I, I, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is without exception. Every single time that I've gotten a question about how do I gain weight, how, like, I'm too light, I'm too light. I, I would need to gain weight. Something about gaining weight or being too light. It's always from a guy who's between the ages of like 15 and 23. Right. And they're worried about how skinny they are for some reason, even though they do a sport where being skinny is an advantage. Um, most of the time, most of the time with, with, you know, there are exceptions to that rule, obviously. So, and almost always what I tell them is that, Hey dude, you're 18 years old. Give it five years and watch how much muscle you put on. Like, don't worry about it. Don't you don't need to overthink it. You don't need to do something crazy. You don't need to do it. Some, you know, you don't need to drastically change your diet. Just give it time. Uh, and I'm wondering if Richard is in the same boat here or if he's, you know, I don't know, 35 years old and he's he's still six foot and one, 145 pounds, which, you know, that's that's rare to see, I would say. 
I don't if know. He is older and has a metabolism that just favors, um, you know, being lighter or an appetite thing going on, and it, he struggles to stay on top of his calories. Um, I would just, in its simplest form, keep in mind fuel for the work that you've done, fuel for your recovery, and fuel for the work that you're planning to do tomorrow. Um, so I, I don't think. You know, take that as you will. Uh, Drew, I'll, I'll let you talk about Ignition's nutrition services. Well, Ignition does offer, offer coaching, nutrition coaching services. And so if you wanted to, I'll, I, you know, I'll give you the little spiel. We've got an in-house nu- nutritionist who's like working on her master's degree in dietetics, I guess. I don't know what the technical term is, but she's legit. <laughs> Um, she can help you. Uh, and the way that she does it is like, she wants to show you, she's not going to like necessarily give you a plan to eat, like eat this exact food at this time, this ratio, all this. She's more so about, I'm going to teach you the strategies that you need to know to be able to do all of that on your own, which I am a huge fan of that versus a meal plan. A meal plan is like a temporary band aid. She's more about, I'm going to teach you the skills that you need and the, and the, and the knowledge that you need to be able to do this on your own after a couple months. So her, her goal is to only work with athletes for a few months and then kind of send them on their way. And if they want to come back for advice here and there, they can. Um, and that's her MO. Um, and so it's 150 bucks a month. Um, it starts with a call with her, like a consultation call. And then you guys, I think, would jump on a call like every week and she'd kind of walk you through steps on here's what we're going to work on this week and feedback. And it's just like this process of making little changes uh, over time that turn into habits that that promote better health. And she's very involved with cycling in the cycling world. Um, She's actually helped do stuff on Texas Roadhouse um, in the past with me and my team. So she knows all about the demands of endurance athletics and specifically cycling. Um, so that's the little spiel there. But what I was going to say about his question was um, I try not to like overthink it. Um, like maybe you guys disagree with me on this, but I, I want to say I don't disagree at all. I think this guy is way <laughs> overthinking it. And he doesn't realize <laughs> like this guy doesn't realize how lucky he is that his his supposed problem is that he is too light or like can't get He didn't weight. say he was a health climber. What if he is a crit racer? I, I don't know. It's just yeah. you, like, you know how many cyclists like the vast majority of cyclists have the exact opposite problem. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> well, uh, what I was going to say was as far as I don't, I don't, I don't want to assume what kind of physique he has or even what kind of discipline he's 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 riding but just to answer his question about adjusting your intake on recovery days i think you should eat to what your body says to eat so like what i'm saying is trust your appetite your mm-hmm. body your appetite that's why your appetite exists is to tell you when you're hungry you need more food and when you're not hungry you don't need more food and so i think a lot of people get into this bad habit of like eating when they're not hungry and that would be not good and you'd probably gain weight doing that and i don't think that that's healthy um but on the days that you're riding a lot, your your appetite's naturally going to go up and you're going to eat more food than you would on your off days. And that's going to happen probably like you might not even notice it. But if you were to like count your calories, I can guarantee you on your day off, you're not you're probably not getting as many calories in on like a, as a big ride day uh, because you're naturally naturally your appetite is just going to be lower. So 
I tend to go with just eat, just eat. <laughs> like just trust that your body is going to like send you the right signals and knowing how to like listen to those signals is, is what I do or try to do. But like what so, I was, so I mean for, for yeah, go ahead. Kayla. I was just going to say, like I was trying to say earlier, my concern is if he struggles to keep on weight and he is older, there might be a bit of maybe a depleted appetite, you know, drink or could be, yeah. Um, if you're not super hungry and then you drink coffee, coffee is an appetite suppressant. Um, so it, it mm. would probably be in his best interest to track his calories just to make sure that he is getting enough. I would say that if he, if this, if this struggle to maintain weight is due to some health issue, like a thyroid issue or something, you know, maybe you want to get that checked with the doctor and make sure that that's not happening. If there is no underlying health issue, trust me, you're not going to waste away to nothing. Your appetite is not going to let you do that. You're not going to waste away and look, you know, look like a skeleton. Uh, if you just follow your appetite, that will not happen. Like maybe at the most, you'll lose five pounds and then your body will readjust. Okay, but you might yeah, yeah. not. And, and when you say no underlying issues, you're also accounting for no eating disorders in, in any form. Sure. Because you're, yeah. you're assuming that, yeah. that, you know, Richard's got a healthy relationship with food. He wants to keep the weight on, but, he, you know, he just maybe sometimes can't keep up with his metabolism. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I'm, yeah. I'm t- I just want to make sure. I, we're, like, we're, if you don't have know. an underlying health issue... And you're like, oh man, like I'm constantly stuffing food in my face. Like if I wasn't, if I wasn't constantly stuffing food in my face, like I would be a hundred pounds. Like I just can't, I can't handle, like that's not going to happen. That will not happen. I'm (laughs) telling you it will not happen. Like you might lose five pounds, but your body quickly adjusts to the amount of food that you're, that you're putting in there. So I, I, in my mind, it's really not a concern unless there's an underlying health issue. Yeah. So in, in kind of going back to, you know, part of his question, I think, Caitlin, you also touched on this earlier, you know, you're, you're fueling as a, as a form of like rebounding from what you've the work you've done, uh, aiding the recovery process, and then also preparing for the work that's to come. You know, I would treat those rest or recovery days different depending on what's the next day is going to look like, honestly, like personally, I, I know Drew, like you're saying, like, just follow whatever your appetite's saying, um, for me, like most time I'm super hungry on my recovery days because I'm like trying to recover still from the previous three or four days of training. So, and, and then I'm also keeping in mind, like hard training starts tomorrow. So most of the time, actually, if you looked at my like, you know, caloric balance sheet, I'm, I'm actually in a huge surplus on my recovery days relative to my training days. And like, that is my chance to like actually like make up for it. So I think that's kind of what Richard's talking about here is like, should he use that recovery day to maybe make up for or compensate for the caloric deficits from the previous days? And I would say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you definitely don't want to like be in a caloric deficit constantly when you're training super hard. You need to be pretty evenly balanced if possible, or if anything, caloric surplus going into your your hard training days, because otherwise your quality of training is definitely going to decrease. Yeah, yeah. I think that, and and I I agree with Drew. I think that if if he follows his appetite, he's not he's not going to be in a caloric deficit because that's what your appetite does. Right? If you want to, um, you you guys know I'm going to drop another Matt Fitzgerald 
uh, <laughs> recommendation here. My the first book I ever read by Matt Fitzgerald was his book on. It's called Racing Weight. It's six six steps to endurance nutrition, basically, uh, or like for it's specific towards endurance athletes. Um, by far the best book I've ever read uh, about nutrition and endurance athletics. Uh, it's called Racing Weight, and I'm pretty sure it's like in multiple languages because it's such a good book. So it might be in German if that's what he speaks. He types in, in English. So oh, okay. I thought you, okay. I thought it had to get translated. Okay. It, it comes through in, in English. Okay. I mean, he's, he's listening to an English speaking podcast. Oh yeah. yeah. Good point. <laughs> I didn't think of that. <laughs> well, then it doesn't matter what language it's in, whatever. Just read that book. If you really yeah. want like a deep dive on it. You know, most Europeans can speak English. You know, most yeah. Europeans are, they know multiple languages. Us like, unlike us in the U.S. Yeah, but reading a, <laughs> reading a book in your native tongue is always better than Yeah, I agreed, agreed, for sure. Yeah. Okay, next question here comes from David. Uh, and David wants to know about comparing coaching versus bike fits. So uh, he asks, is it a better investment to mm. pay for an extra month of coaching or a bike fit? For context, I've been self-training for a while, primarily with exert, and doing most of my bike fits by trial and error. I've reached a point in my life where I want to invest more financially into my on-the-bike performance, and hiring a coach for next season, primarily gravel racing, is one way to do that. But I'm also interested in working with a bike fitter on a couple of things to figure out if there are performance improvements I'm missing out on in that area. So if a fit and a month of coaching are at about the same cost, would you go for the fit first or the extra month of coaching? I would just be doing base training and some gym work for most of the off season anyways. Thanks, David. Hey, buddy, just pick up a couple hours and get both. Make it happen, man. Come on. What are you doing? Sell sell some old old wheels or something and just just do both. (laughs) No, no, I I, to, to answer this question, uh seriously um i would say it probably would be a good idea to do the bike fit like if that means starting coaching a month later then doing a bike fit would be worth worth that compromise i would say especially so for gravel here's events, what i'm gonna say so long um so as a bike fitter and a coach oh ooh. uh you know D- david mentions here that he he's interested in getting a bike fit because there are a couple things that he wants to figure out uh, whether or not he's missing performance improvements to find a fitter that is going to unlock performance improvements in a way that is different, you know, that, that differs from just addressing discomforts or, um, certain, you know, pain areas, uh, is going to be challenging. So it's one thing to unlock performance improvements because you have, uh, super tight hips and your current position is just you know, you're, you're getting off the bike and you're just super sore or like you're limited with how, uh, you can like recruit your posterior chain, um, you know, or you have like lower back issues and like you're, you're leaving performance on the tail because of some of those ailments. If you feel perfectly comfortable and healthy on the bike, and it's just a matter of like, you're trying to maybe get more arrow or you're trying to get better muscle recruitment. And that's why you're going to the bike fitter. I think you're going to, I think you have a hard time justifying that uh, as a means to achieve uh, improvements. So that I just want I want to put that out there. Bike bike fitters are there, there's great bike fitters and then there's not so great bike fitters. 
even not so great bike fitters can probably address discomforts and pains and, um, you know, insufficiencies. But as far as like trying to unleash performance or unlock performance, that's, you're, you're talking about a pretty specialized bike fitter there. Um, so I just want to put that out there. If you are going to go the bike fit route, do your homework for sure. Don't just pick any bike fitter from the, you know, the list of bike fitters, um, you got to do some homework and figure out like who's going to be the best bike fitter for that. And maybe even like talk to a handful of bike fitters, let them know what the issues are. But most bike fitters, like if you come to them and you say like, I don't have any issues, I just want to get faster. They, they're probably going to do more harm than good in that, in that arena, because they're going to try and do things that maybe your body is not prepared for. Um, so in that case, I mean, I don't know. I think, I know he says that he's just doing base training and gym training, but I'd want to know like, okay, what does your base training look like right now? How are you pairing that with your gym training? You say you're self-coaching with exert. Um, I think that's okay. Um, you know, but I think personally, I, I would say if you don't have any ailments on the bike, then I would lean towards getting that, that coaching relationship going. And if you hire Adam as your coach, he'll give you a bike fit for free. Wow. <laughs> How nice. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know about that. <laughs> No. <laughs> Can you do it bike fit virtually? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I've I've helped some people with certain things, but it's it's a challenge because you just can't get all the perspectives you need. Yeah, that's what I yeah. thought. Yeah. You could have like multiple cameras set up and stuff like that, but I've never gone that far. I've always just you know, someone has like taken a video of themselves from the front and the side, but it's it's tough if you can't be there to dynamic you know, to see them dynamically and move around as they're as they're pedaling. I, I think that, you know, um Something to keep in mind is they, they've actually done research on optimal saddle height because I would argue that if there's if there's something that's going to affect your power output on the bike, it's probably your saddle height uh, as opposed to all the other things that are involved with bike fitting. Um, not that you can't get performance from adjusting other parts of your bike, but saddle height is probably the first one. And there is there's a there's a range of saddle heights that will give you optimal performance. It's not like there's one saddle height that is perfect and you will get the best performance from that saddle height. It's not, it's a range. And yep. if you, I, if you're, if you're not experiencing any, uh, any knee issues or any other body issues, I, I would say there's a good chance that you're already in that range. I could be wrong, but um, and it's, you know, it's never a bad idea to get a professional bike fitter to check that. But my guess is if you're not experiencing issues, you're already in that range. Agreed. Isn't I remember reading uh, one time Phil Guyman, I don't know if it was in a book or article or something, but he was talking about how uh, like he always set up his bikes on his own. And then he he got signed to a team and they had like a professional bike fitter come out and fit all their bikes <laughs> And he, he like went through the whole process and the team was like, oh, you're, you, this is going to be like amazing. Like if you've never had a bike fit, like just, just wait, your performance is going to go like through the roof with this. And he like finished the bike fit and was like, I feel completely like garbage. And he just like rolled around for a few minutes and was like, nope. And he just like took a multi-tool out of his pocket, put his saddle back to where it was. <laughs> and it was like, went on his own way. And like, basically what he was saying was like, I feel great already. Like I, I'm, I've set it up to what feels optimal for me. Mm-hmm someone else, you know, they don't have the same sensations. Like they they can see you, they can, you know, they can make adjustments based on what they're visualizing. But if it doesn't feel good at the end of the day, 
you're probably not in an optimal position. Did you, did you hear uh, Chris Froome was talking about how he's been riding with the wrong bike fit ever since he left Ineos? <laughs> no, so, I, didn't I don't that. know how long he's been away from Ineos. Uh, probably what two or three, two or three years or something. Yeah, three years. He he's like ever. I I obviously he had all of his success in his career when it was Team Sky Team Ineos, and then he's moved, and then he you know, has been dealing with injury and he moved to, uh, uh, Israel premier tech. I think that's what it's called. I don't know. They might've changed the name, but Israel premier tech. And he's like, ever since I made that switch, I've had the wrong bike fit and he's just figuring it out now. Like his saddle wasn't in the right position and his hand and, and whatever, and this and that. How do you screw that up for three years <laughs> and you're, and you're in the world tour? Like, <laughs> Dude, not just in the world tour, was, like, I'm, at the top of sounds the Sounds like he's tour. making up excuses yeah, for some bogus. I, thought was, I saw a YouTube <laughs> yeah. video Dude. and I thought it was clickbait. Like, Chris You're getting older. That's what's happening. Bike, for performance, yeah. What's he expect? Like, he's going to yeah. change his seat height and start winning the tour again? Like, come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it is. I think what's crazier is the fact that he didn't notice the change because I mean, obviously, he, at one point in his career, he was, you know, probably the best cyclist in the world. And he didn't notice that his fit was all out of whack when he, you know, switched bikes. You have to be you, you have to have someone holding your hand so much to to like not be able to just like hop on another bike and know whether or not it fits you properly like if, if you're relying that much on someone else telling you whether your bike fits or not that's mm. that sounds like a problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah so all right let's 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 do one more mm-hmm. here okay uh this one comes from casey uh so casey says question regarding tapering i'm currently in week four of one of dylan's 12 week base training with lifting plans that finishes two weeks before BWR Mexico. Oh, does a watch out. <laughs> All right, let's go. Uh, Some competition. <laughs> for for context, the exact dates. Uh, the plan ends this Sunday, November twelfth. So it just ended actually. Uh, the first day in Mexico is November twenty second, and the race is Sunday, November twenty sixth. How should I plan my taper for the race in these two weeks? So that's basically starting now. That's why I'm getting you know put this one on today mm. um oh good so basically casey wants to know how should he taper into mexico coming off of your 12-week base plan yeah please tell me <laughs> i have no idea what to do the next two well weeks. you know i is so i don't i i guess the first thing that i would say and look we, we, you know we can we can go from from the point that you are at right now we can go from here and i can give advice but i think that if we could reverse time and go back a couple months. I don't know if BWR Mexico is your A race or not, or if it's just something you're doing for fun. But if it was your A race, uh, ideally you would have had a, you know, a two month build after the base training plan to prepare for it. Cause Good you know, point. you're, you're coming off of, that. <laughs> you're, you're coming off of base training and then doing a taper into a race, uh, which is not ideal, but maybe this isn't your A race. Maybe it's just, it's just, a race that you want to do for fun. In which case, I would actually say, I, I don't know if you need... It, is it two weeks of tapering? That's what he said. If uh, he starts yeah, this how week. should I tape... Or it just says, how should I plan my taper yeah, yeah. for the race during those two weeks before? Gotcha. I mean, I, you know, if this isn't an A race, I would argue that you don't need two weeks of tapering. Um, 
So I don't know a little a little bit of season planning on the you know it's it's too late for that now, but a little bit more uh, more planning about uh, about how this season is going to go uh, probably would have been better. Of course, I you know BW I don't know where this person lives, but I assume that BWR Mexico is like the last race of this person's calendar before you know they get into the the race season in 2024. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, <clears throat> so I let's. Let's take this question and kind of generalize it a little bit. So, you know, Casey, hopefully you're listening. I actually sent you an email this morning and said, hey, we're going to answer this on the podcast today. So hopefully you tune in and, you know, maybe maybe you can make some last minute adjustments to your training plan later this week and, and next week. But let's answer this. Let's assume this is not Casey's A race. Mm-hmm. Casey's just started his base season training. And he wants to you know, I mean, it's it's a big race. He's going to Mexico. I don't know if he's, he doesn't say if he's from Mexico or not, but let's assume he's not from Mexico. So he's going down there, big investment to get down there. So, you know, it's a big race that's happening to fall kind of during his base season training. So let's approach it from that angle, because I'm sure he's not going to be the only one who's trying to do a big race during their base season training. So let's, let's answer this from, should Casey be doing a taper? And if so, what should that taper look like? knowing it's falling like smack dab in the middle of his base season. Yeah. I would just say a, a, a short taper. Uh, like just don't do anything crazy the three days leading up to the race. That's what I'm going to do. I'm racing, I'm racing two cross races this weekend, and then I'm going to Mexico. So I don't like, I'm not really tapering at all, but I'm not going to do anything crazy like three days leading up to the race. Like I'm going to try to get out and pre-ride parts of the course and stuff, but I'm not. I, I'm just going to go into it with like a normal amount of form slash fatigue without like overthinking it. I, I mean, personally, I think people kind of like overdo the whole tapering thing. Like they think like, oh, if I just don't ride or like if I barely ride for two weeks, I'll be so fresh for this race. But man, I don't know. I, I feel pretty good when I'm training and then racing like Yep. So like I don't I don't usually taper all that much for for races. I usually just keep training like normal and if anything I'm just a little bit more aware of recovery between between things. And l- like I said, I'm like even throughout the year I'm not doing anything crazy before races anyways, so I just do that for the big races too. Like I'm not going to go do a workout the day before or even 2 days before a race. Yeah, I would say maybe the one exception to that would be if it is truly your last race of the season and you don't really care about carrying any fitness beyond that, then yeah, maybe you could benefit from just like shutting all the fatigue that you've accumulated throughout the year and just like going in super fresh and snappy. But yeah, um, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. I mean, we're talking about, especially, you know, this case, we're talking about putting the race in the middle of your base season. I would a hundred percent agree. I, Percy, even if it was an A race that happened in, I mean, first of all, if you're doing an A race in the base season, you you totally messed up your your yeah, that's kind uh, of that's what I was trying to preparation. say. That's kind of what Dylan was saying. <laughs> yep, you know, but but oh, let's assume that's not the case. It's a it's a B race or a C priority race. Like I, at this point in the year, you really can't you can't justify missing out on training because you're tapering into a race, which that's what you're doing when you taper. You're detraining, and that's like mm-hmm. the the intentionality behind it. So you just can't afford to do that when you're in the base season. So yeah, I mean, you might, you might come in a little bit more fatigued than you'd like to, but you're also coming in with base season fitness. I mean, you're not, you're not in peak race form. So you're already kind of on the back foot. So I, I would say you don't want to, 
you don't want to adjust your training hardly at all, except for, you know, BWR Mexico. I mean, that's a 120 or 30 mile race, but that's a big race. Like you do want to make sure you're coming in fresh enough to still complete it. And you also don't want to come out of it so smoked that you can't get back to training. So you might want to adjust your plan. Like you're saying during like the few days surrounding the race, just to make sure you're accounting for all the fatigue you're going to build up. But I, I wouldn't really deviate from a your your standard training protocol at all. Based on of off of a base program, I'm assuming, I don't know if you remember, Dylan, but what that last week was like, probably yeah, so significant Probably volume. a recovery week. The last sure. week of, the last week of the plan is a recovery week. And then, oh, yeah, yeah so the, the 12th here, week, here's yep. the thing. The last week of the plan is a recovery week. And then if he does a two week taper, that's essentially three weeks of reduced training load leading yeah. into the race, which right. is excessive <laughs> to say the least. I mean, it would be excessive. <laughs> that's not a taper anymore. I mean, that's, that's, that's like total detraining. Sure. I mean, like you're going to come in like, so I guess, I guess what fitness. I would do at this point is probably cause this person has already completed the plan and now is wondering what the next two weeks should look like. I would probably make the next week just a normal training week. Um, you know, normal volume, normal amount of intensity for what you've been doing. Uh, and then that week leading into the race, maybe you might want it to be a little bit more of a taper. Uh, maybe not even a full-on taper. Maybe, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday is kind of normal riding. And then Thursday, Friday, you're tapering into the race. Yeah, so in, in this case here, you know, if we're if we're looking at Casey's scenario specifically, uh, Casey's getting to Mexico on the twenty second. So and then the race is until the twenty sixth. So they're getting there five days early. Yeah. So you can already assume that there's going to be like a travel day, and then like the first day you're there, you're not probably going to train super hard because you're trying to get things sorted out. So I I would say you're kind of already accounting for some of those like down days just in those travel. Like even though it's not totally just resting you're still not going to be building physical you know as much physical fatigue there as you would on like a hard training day so i would say factor that in too and then you know yeah may, maybe your first actual ride down there like make a pretty hard like an inter- interval ride like a normal interval interval day and then you know your other days are just kind of easy recovery uh yeah. recon days or something yeah. I, so I, my schedule for next year, my first race of the year is going to be Mid-South and my, you're going uh, down, buddy. (laughs) We're already, (laughs) we're already starting it. All right. So the, my first race of the year next year is going to be Mid-South and I'm going to, and I'm, that's not an A race for me at all. It's, you know, it's probably a C race, Uh, but I'm going to end, I'm going to, end my base training the week before Mid-South. Um, and the week leading into Mid-South is not going to look like a taper week. It's going to look like a rest week from a, a base training block. And I think that if, you, if you're if you looking at your calendar and you see an early season race like that, that's probably the best way to do it. I It's whenever you put a race, especially a race like BWR or Mid-South that's long and it's actually going to take time to recover from, if you put that smack in the middle of your base of a three-week base training block, you're actually, I think you're actually risking screwing up that base training block because then you have to recover from it. And it was a lot, you know, it was a lot of intensity and you're not going to get in as much volume as you could have because you're, you're now recovering from a race. But I think if you put it at the end of a recovery week, not only will you be more recovered for that race, but you're not screwing up your training in the middle of the block. Yeah. So in, I want to put something out there too, because 
the the calendar tends to lock people in to like you have to like your week has to start Monday, it has to end Sunday. And like if you're gonna do a recovery week, it's gotta be Monday to Sunday. Mm-hmm. If you're like in this case here, Dylan, like if you're throwing in a mid south and like you know, the middle of your or end of your base season training, there's nothing to say you can't like start your recovery week on Wednesday and go till Tuesday. And that gives you like a couple days to recover before and a couple days to recover after. Cause like for you, like if you're doing mid South on Saturday and you're looking at like, Oh, I got to start my week Monday through Sunday. Mm-hmm. Then like come Monday or Tuesday, like you might have to like, I right, got to get back to the grind, but you might not be fully recovered yet. So I want to like give people the permission that it's okay to chunk your week sometimes into like a Wednesday to Wednesday and like adjust things a little bit. Like it can be three and a half weeks. It can be two and a half weeks. Like it doesn't have to always fall Monday to Sunday. That's your week. And you have to do three weeks on one week off. Like you'll see with, with my athletes sometimes. And like, I know with, you know, when I've worked with my coach, it it just doesn't, it, it most of the time doesn't work out that way. So like, it's okay to like break from that norm of like Monday to Sunday. Um, Cause sometimes like in this case, like that's probably what I would do for an athlete is like extend their training till Tuesday, start the recovery week Wednesday. And then it gives them a couple of days afterwards to still just be like, I can recover right now because that's what I need. Nice. Uh, anything else to, to offer up here? I mean, I think, I think the, the, the gist of this is us saying don't taper for races mm-hmm. during your base season. <laughs> yeah. And we, again, we don't know if this is, I mean, a, a B or an A, like, yeah, we agree that it shouldn't be in a race coming off of this base training. Um, but who knows? So he's spending the money to go to BWR Mexico with travel, all of that. I imagine he wants to feel somewhat prepared. So he should definitely have at least three intensity sessions that should somewhat replicate what he's going to see out there. BWRs are normally pretty spunky in spots, um, like sand and, and things like that, um, that are going to require high intensity efforts. Uh, so his training in the next couple of weeks should definitely reflect that. Cause I imagine he yeah, hasn't, great, he hasn't been doing point. that. Um, so you don't want the first time right. you're exposed to that to be on race day because you're, you know, you can't cram for cycling. You can't, you know, three intensity sessions is, is going to be better than nothing and by intensity i mean you know above uh tempo um but yeah um yeah no it's a good point yeah like you know if, if we were you know we were telling casey to kind of get back to normal training week this week and then you know maybe do like a half week taper or, you know we're kind of deloading going into the race next week uh maybe don't jump back into whatever intervals you were doing on week 11 it's like maybe maybe you do some 30 30s or one to two minute power intervals or three minute vo2 max like something like that where you probably like like you're saying kaylee especially like i mean any race it doesn't matter what race you're doing unless it's unbound xl or tour divide or some you know some of those super long races like any other race like you're gonna have those super hard efforts no matter what because that's just the nature of racing bikes so i think that's a good point to maybe expose yourself a little bit to some of those super thresholds uh, efforts, you know, in the, in the kind of week or week and a half leading up. Not that it's going to really adjust your fitness profile mm-hmm. much, if at all, but it's more just exposing yourself to those efforts so that you're not shell shocked when you're when you're doing that on race day. And also, don't forget it's at altitude. 
So what? if you're doing those efforts there, give yourself a little bit more oh recovery. My gosh. Wow. Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> what what is the altitude? I think it's high. I think it's like over six thousand feet. Ooh. All right. All right. Sweet. Thanks, guys. We will uh see you all next week. See you. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title, the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! Is riding your bike still fun or has it just become a burden that you just kind of slog through to get complete? Come on, you spent all that money on those fancy bikes. You should enjoy riding them, right? We believe working with an ignition coach can help you have fun riding bikes again. Your coach will create a tailor-made training plan that fits in with everything else you have going on in your busy life. Having a coach can help you find that balancing point of goals on the bike versus goals off the bike, and they'll be able to maximize your training so you can get the most out of yourself, no matter how busy your life might be. Let's be honest, your enjoyment of cycling is directly correlated with your fitness level. Ignition Coach Co. will help you gain fitness, go fast, and have fun. Sign up today at ignitioncoachco.com.